for those of you on the podcast apps, you got almost a, a full minute of guitar playing there by Slash. Um, drinking me a nice big glass of cool, wholesome milk because it does a body good. Uh, so we kind of start tonight off, I was planning on, well, I was just kicking around ideas of what to, what to say, what to, uh, podcast and, uh, YouTube about, and, um, we, unfortunately, I, I've been in my backyard all night, um, watching a high school football game, uh, because of the the virus, I think you can use that term on YouTube, but whatever. Because of the virus, um, and me rattling my cigar wrapper around, uh, stadium capacity is limited here in Ohio. But I'm lucky enough that my backyard is about two feet above field level and faces the football field so I still have a good view of the games and a lot of times even when uh, the games were available open to the public whatever I would still sit in my backyard and smoke a stogie and drink a beer anyways uh High school football is not the topic of tonight's uh, episode. We have, uh, unfortunately, lost a great Supreme Court member. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has succumbed to cancer. Uh, And, of course, prayers go out to her family and loved ones. And uh, we also need to pray for our elected officials uh, going forward. Um, At some point, there will be a new Supreme Court justice appointed to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, Before we get into the politics of it, and things of that nature. Um, let me first of all plug everything. Uh, I, I am on all the podcasting platforms uh, called Panic Attack with Big John. On Twitter, it is at the real Big John. The, oh, pardon me. The, it's at the real underscore Big John. Uh, on Parlor, it is at the real Big John, all one word. And coming in the near future, um, the hell is that other thing that I'm starting now? Um, Twitch. I'm going to start a Twitch channel. Uh, that will be the real Big John, all one word. And on Facebook, it's Big John's conservative op-ed page. So. All that said, uh, Ruth Gator 
Bader Ginsburg. Um, I, I wanted to use uh, for my thumbnail on YouTube a younger picture of her. And she was a very attractive young woman. Yeah, I'm a male chauvinist. Um, but to get to know this woman, uh, she received a bachelor's degree at Cornell University, very prestigious Ivy League school. Uh, became a wife to Martin Ginsburg a, and mother before starting law school at Harvard. She was one of the few women in her class of, you know, this was, uh, when was this? This was, you know, probably the 60s, we'll say. 60s-ish. Right? Somewhere around there. Um, yeah. So anyways, sorry, I'm reading this as I go. Uh, so she was one of the few women in her class. Ginsburg transferred to Columbia Law School, where she graduated first in her class. Following law school, Ginsburg entered into academia, which means she became a college professor. She was a professor at Rutgers Law School and Columbia Law School, teaching civil procedure as one of the few women in her field. Ginsburg spent a considerable part of her legal career as an advocate for the advancement of gender equality and women's rights, winning multiple arguments before the Supreme Court. She advocated as a volunteer attorney for the American Civil Liberty, Liberties Union and was a member of the board of directors and one of the general counsels in the 1970s. In 1980, President Carter appointed her to the Court of Appeals. She served on the Court of Appeals uh, District of Columbia Circuit, which that would be Washington, D.C. Circuit. She served there until 1993 when President Bill Clinton appointed her to the United States Supreme Court. Um, some other notes I have on Ruth Gator ben Ginsburg, like I said, she was um, champion for women's rights. Uh, allegedly, <clears throat> her dying wish was dictated to her granddaughter uh, that no new justice be appointed until a new president is elected. That's what she told her granddaughter to write down uh, days before she passed away. This is September 18th. Uh, and she passed away earlier this afternoon or evening. Um, She fought cancer for several years, uh, folks. Uh, she was, you know, in remission. Uh, she, she thought they thought it was gone, from what I recollect. Uh, it came back recently, like say in the last year. 
Uh, she has not been at very many Supreme Court uh, functions, hearings and things. She's been off, basically off work sick. Um, she also, in between, or perhaps during her battle with cancer, had a really bad bout of pneumonia. And God bless her, she was a fighter. Uh, she wanted to be, she wanted to die on the court. I mean, I, I think if this woman, and this is a complimentary statement, if she could have died on the bench in the Supreme Court chamber, that would have been ideal for her. That would have been her dream. Uh, she really loved the, the judicial system, uh, fighting for people's rights. Uh, interpreting law, teaching law, uh, and, you know, judges, lawyers, justices uh, often get a bad rap in our society, uh, but it's one of the, I think it's the most overlooked branch of government. Uh, the Supreme Court's job is to interpret law and judicial decisions and decide if they are constitutional or not. If they follow the Constitution, which is our, our ultimate rule of law in the United States. Uh, and she was one of the people that did this. Uh, she fought for equal rights for women. When, you know, at a time when women didn't have rights, when it was you know, come here, honey, and let me smack you on the butt if you want a promotion. Uh, male chauvinism and men as, as pigs uh, was the, the rule in this, you know, well, hell, I mean, look at Bill Clinton up until the 90s. Uh, I mean, even, even today it happens. Look at Harvey Weinstein and some of these people. Um, and that was, those were the, the folks that Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for. Now I've had, now I'm going to switch. We're not in, we paid tribute and homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I feel it's important to point out that when she passed, she was um, 87 years old. Uh, it's well documented her health had not been the best um, and a lot of people will point to the other side which is generally the exception not the rule of where uh, I have I had a friend uh, you know she was a friend of my grandparents and then through that she became a friend of mine as I got older versus being a mentor when I was younger, but uh, this lady lived to be 102 years old, and her downfall was uh, blindness. Uh, she died peacefully one day. Uh, one moment she was alive, the next minute she was dead. Uh, in a nursing home, unfortunately, um, 
I'm not a fan of nursing homes, but, uh, you know, she kept, you know, I would go visit her with, you know, my mother or whomever, and she would sit there and tell us, I tell the staff in here all the time, I'm not senile, I'm not senile, I might not be able to see, but, you know, don't treat me like one of these old people, I still got it, Uh, but that's kind of the exception, Uh, and as you hit a certain age, health becomes a bigger problem. Now, cancer can hit you at any time, from an infant to a thousand years old, Uh, you know, but these things are harder for older people to deal with. Furthermore, is your mind always with you at 87 years old? Uh, There was no, there was never anything negative said about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mental capacity, Uh, but the fact, you know, that she was on there uh, at the age that she was makes me wonder, uh, makes me question, and I've questioned for a, a long time, maybe the last five or ten years, should the Supreme Court be a lifetime appointment. Uh, I certainly do not think it should be an elected position. And I don't know if you can put a number on the amount of years somebody can serve. I was just looking at um, the two potential nominees that Trump could put up there. And I'm going to do a second video on them, a a second segment to this podcast on them. But the the fact is, one of them is a year younger than I am, and the other is four years older than I am. So I'm 44. One of them is 48 years old, and one is 43 years old. If they're lifetime appointees... That means they could well be on the Supreme Court for the next 40 years. Uh, Now, advancements in medicine and science are making it easier for folks to live longer. Uh, They're also making it easier for you to keep your uh, wits about you. Um... You know, they they found uh, through research on the the brains of um, Down syndrome people uh, that their families donated their bodies to science. They're starting to find uh, cures, or at least they think they're on to. Uh, ways to heal autism, or not autism, uh, Alzheimer's. So, you know, as we get older and our brain starts to not function as well, or as we slip into Alzheimer's, uh, you know, there's possibilities that those diseases could become a thing of the past in the next 40 years. There are also a great possibility that these two Trump appointees could live into their hundreds and 
these are the things we need to consider um, constitutionally should things change that there's an age restriction which would be extremely controversial when it comes to uh, passing a law uh, I mean that like you know there's actually a thing now called ageism uh, where it's like uh, sexist and racist and everything else to uh, judge people in any way shape or form based on their age but uh, how do we deal with this should somebody that's 87 years old and misses like a year, maybe not consecutively, but off and on through various illnesses, somebody that misses many votes on the Supreme Court, should there be some limitation? Uh, you always have to worry about well, nowadays, you're supposed to worry about the person's feelings. Uh, I don't care about their feelings. I care about, you know, should they, are they capable of doing this very important job? Um, in my next video, I will, and the second part of this podcast, uh, talk, talk at you about... Um, why Trump needs to appoint somebody very, very quickly. And I'm going to talk to you about who those two folks uh, may, well, who the top two candidates are for that uh, potential appointment. So with that, God bless you. Pray for one another. Uh, we'll see you on the next panic attack. And if you're on the podcast, I will see ya momentarily. Ya. to panic attack with Big John. <clears throat> I am your host with the most, um, Big John. So, <clears throat> as we know, it's cold and I have something in my throat. Not this milk that I just guzzled, though. Um, the two potential replacements for Ruth Bader Ginsburg should President Trump decide to push forward, uh, and I think that he should, uh, with a Supreme Court nominee. The two people who, whose names first come up are Amy Coney Barrett and uh, Tom Cotton. Okay. Um, Amy Coney Barrett. 
she uh, is described as an originalist and a textualist. Barrett's justice philosophy has been that been likened, sorry, to that of her mentor, former boss, Anton Scalia. Barrett's scholarship focuses on originalism, statutory interpretation, and state decisis. As a federal judge, she continues to teach statutory interpretation at Notre Dame Law School. Uh, Barrett was nominated to Seventh Court of Appeals by President Trump in May 2017 and confirmed by the Senate a year later. So before that, she was a professor at Notre Dame where she taught civil procedure, constitutional law, and statutory interpretation. She was added to Trump's list of potential Supreme Court nominees. Uh, She was a possible if Brett Kavanaugh could not have gotten appointed um, or something like, yeah, if Brett Kavanaugh couldn't get appointed, this Amy Coney Barrett was uh, brought up as a potential uh, nominee at that time. I mean, almost immediately after the Senate approved her. So she was widely considered the frontrunner for Supreme Court vacancy during Trump's presidency. This goes on to say. Uh, let's see. She's a very big uh, advocate of the Second Amendment. Let's see here. That's for sure. Uh, what the left will attack her on will be her religious background. Um, so she was raised in New Orleans. The oldest of seven children with five sisters and a brother. Uh, here, here we go. 1990, Barrett graduated from St. Mary's Dominican High School, where she was vice president of the student body. She played piano. That's not important. 1994, she graduated magna cum laude in a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from Rhodes College. She was a Phi Beta Kappa member. She attended Notre Dame Law School as a Kylie Fellow, a full tuition scholarship. At Notre Dame, she served as executive editor of the Notre Dame Law Review. In 1997, she graduated first in her class, which earned her the Hoyness Prize the law school's highest honor. After graduating from law school, she served as a law clerk for Judge Lawrence Silberman of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. She then spent 
a year as a clerk for Associate Justice Anton Scalia of the Supreme Court. During both clerkships, she only she was the only female law clerk. From 1999 to 2002, she practiced law at Miller, Casty, LaCora, and Lawwin in Washington, D.C. After her time in private practice, she served as a visiting associate professor and John M. Olin Fellow in Law at George Washington University Law School for years before returning to her alma mater, Notre Dame Law School. <clears throat> so she's a very smart woman, clerk for Anton Scalia. <clears throat> so notable cases, Title IX, immigration, Second Amendment, Barrett wrote a lengthy dissent in favor of gun ownership rights, so the left is going to attack her on that. Um, there was a Fourth Amendment case where Barrett wrote an opinion in a case denying summary judgment and qualified immunity to a police detective who knowingly provided false and misleading information in an affidavit. So this is something that uh, the left is very much uh, in favor of right now, taking qualified immunity away from police officers, where basically qualified immunity says they cannot be uh, pursued in civil cases uh, and things of that nature if uh, they screw up. But here it was clear that the detective uh, knowingly provided false and misleading information in an affidavit. What else? <clears throat> Executive power, Yaffle versus Pompeo. I'm not gonna get into that. You guys can find all this on your own. Um, her judicial philosophy, she considers herself an originalist. She is a constitutional scholar with expertise in statutory interpretation. At an event in 2013 that reflected the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, she described the decision in the, the phrase <clears throat> by Notre Dame Magazine as creating through judicial flat a framework of abortion on demand. She also remarked that it was very unlikely the court will overturn the core aspect of Roe versus Wade, the fundamental element that the woman has a right to choose abortion will probably stand. The controversy right now is about funding. It's a question whether abortions will be publicly or privately funded. <clears throat> so there you have it. She does not think the Supreme Court will ever overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, she did say it 
create a framework for abortion on demand, but she feels it's very unlikely and the fundamental element of a woman's right to choose abortion will probably stand. Uh, that's one thing that the left always likes to dig into conservative justices or conservatives who are nominated to be justices. This other person, Tom Cotton, uh, he is currently a United States Senator. Uh, at one point he was quoted as saying that if he was ever put on the Supreme Court that uh, I've got this like second hand but he was wrote or said somewhere that if he was on the Supreme Court Roe versus Wade would be finished. Uh, so Democrats aren't going to like that about Tom Bryant Cotton. Thomas Bryant Cotton. The guy's six foot five. He's, <laughs> he's kind of a big goober. He, he seems pretty cool. Uh, let's see here. Cotton was accepted into Harvard after graduating from high school in 1995. Like I said, he's a year younger than I am. Uh, he majored in government. At Harvard, Cotton was a member of the editorial board of the Harvard Crimson, often dissenting from the liberal majority in articles. Cotton addressed what he saw as sacred cows, such as affirmative action. He, so the left will rip him to shreds and call him a racist on that. Uh, he graduated with an A.B. Magnum Cum Laude, in 1998, after only three years of study, having written his senior thesis on the Federalist Papers. After graduating from Harvard, Cotton was accepted to, into a master's program at Claremont Graduate University. He left in 1999, saying he found academic life too... Uh, what the hell does that say? Too sedentary. And instead enrolled in Harvard Law School. Graduated from Harvard Law School with a JD in 2002. That's Juris Doctorate or Law Degree. JD. After finishing law school in 2002, he served for a year, served as a clerk for... Judge Jerry Edwin Smith at the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. He entered practice of law working for Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher for a few months and start to start paying off his student loans. Uh, he joined the military in 2005. Uh, Cotton enlisted in the regular army component of the United States Army, the September 11th attacks compelled him to enlist into the infantry branch. In March 2005, he entered officer candidate school and in June 2005 was commissioned as 
Infantry Second Lieutenant. So, letter to the New York Times, 2006, while stationed in Iraq, gained international public attention after an open letter to the editor of the New York Times asserting journalists had violated espionage laws by publishing an article detailing classified, a classified government program monitoring terrorist finances. The New York Times did not publish Cotton's letter, but was published on Powerline, a conservative blog that had been copied on the email. The letter Cotton called for the journalist to be prosecuted for espionage. That's pretty interesting. Uh, shortly after his deployment in Afghanistan ended, his former boss at the Claremont Institute introduced Cotton to Chris uh, Chocola, a former congressman and president of Club for Growth, a Republican action, political action committee. An attempt was made to draft Cotton for the 2010 Senate election in Arkansas to run against incumbent Democrat Blanche Lincoln. Cotton declined, believing his political candidacy would be premature following his active duty. Cotton served in the Army Reserve did consulting work before running for Congress in Arkansas' 4th Congressional District following the retirement of Democratic incumbent Mike Ross. September 2011, uh, Arkansas editor Max Bradley criticized Cotton for an article he wrote in the Harvard Crimson in 1998 which he questioned the value of the internet as a teaching tool in the classroom, referring to the internet as having too many temptations. So, uh, Democrats will have a field day with this guy because he's such a Republican, such a uh, conservative. Uh, he served his country bravely in the military. That's something they do not like. Um, and any conservative Trump tries to put on there is immediately going to be called the Antichrist uh, I like this Amy personally from what I've, I've just read about her and what I've heard about her in the past uh, she's kind of attractive um, you know a lot of us jumping a lot off subject here, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was quite the looker in her younger day, too. Not that that matters. I'm just a male chauvinist pig. But, uh, no, I, I think, you know, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I, I point out her I point out her looks as a younger woman because we've uh, wait a second I have to redo the video part of this
So I got cut off here. Um, back on here um, on YouTube. The, uh, you know, Amy, shit fire. Now I've lost my damn concentration because this computer jacked up. Amy Coney Barrett, um, you know, she's younger. She's not going to get a free pass from liberals because she's a woman. Um, Republicans did something very smart during the Kavanaugh hearing. They didn't slurp their milk. Like, that was the sound you just heard. Um, had to get that last drop out of the bottom of the cup. Come on. Um, but no, uh, Republicans brought in a female to question Brett Kavanaugh's accuser. Democrats won't do that. The Democrats, uh, when they interview uh, Amy Bear, they're going to just be total pig male chauvinist and lambaste her on you know anything they can. Uh, you know, Alyssa Milano will be there lurking in the background somewhere, I'm sure. Um, I, I think I'm going to, I'll use my vast influence and connections to make sure Rose McGowan get your seat next to Alyssa to keep her in line. But, um, the reason why Trump needs to get this Supreme Court justice pushed through and there's something in air quotes called the McConnell um, rule that a, a president, you know, in this stage of his term uh, up for re-election should not push through a Supreme Court justice. But this election could go to the Supreme Court uh, both sides seem to be saying uh, we're not going to accept the outcomes. Uh, and I don't like that. We've had you know, a peaceful transition of power uh, for many years in this country, and it needs to uh, stay that way. Both sides need to just grow up and say, you know, these are the results. But, uh, you know, if Biden somehow wins the popular vote... And I don't even think he's going to win that. But if he wins the popular vote and Trump wins the Electoral College, then Democrats are going to start doing everything they can to keep Trump from getting those electoral votes. Uh, and things are going to go to court. And, you know, we can sit here and say, well, you know, the, the laws of these states say that 
you know, these electors have to vote with uh, the majority of the people in their state, right? These are 50 individual elections, and the electors in that state have to vote with the uh, candidate chosen by the people of their state. Uh, but the thing is, you know, I, John Morrow, Big John, am not in all 50 states to make that happen. Uh, so it's going to be an intriguing post-election. I think Trump, I think he wins both, truthfully. I think he wins the popular and I think he wins the electoral college. Uh, you know, but you know, Hillary Clinton has advised... <laughs> Joe Biden to not not concede on election night to string this out. That's why this vacancy needs to be filled. What would happen if this goes to the Supreme Court of the United States and it ends in a four to four tie? What do we have? You know, do we have temporarily Nancy Pelosi as president, God help us. You know, there are a lot of checks and balances uh, to what uh, can be done by a president and things of that nature, but, you know, if the Democrats have the House and somehow they take the Senate, worst case scenario for America, of course, but... Uh, you know, there's a good likelihood there will be a red, uh, red, uh, what was that guy calling it? Well, anyways, a red push or red wave, uh, as they're going to call it, whatever. You know, Democrats are doing the mail-in balloting. Now, here in Ohio, absentee ballots, which are mail-in ballots, those are the first ones counted on election night. So, I don't know how many other states follow that suit. Maybe I'll look it up and figure it out. But there's going to be a time when it's going to look like Biden is leading because these absentee ballots... Uh, and mail-in ballots might get vote might get counted first because they're already at the board of elections. Uh, how each state approaches its absentee or mail-in balloting process is going to be different. So, for how many weeks after the election are they accepting mail-in ballots? Is it going to be different in the state of New York? Uh, than what is usually accepted if Trump wins. Uh, he's probably not going to win the state of New York just because of New York City. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, if they want to boost up Biden's popular vote numbers to undermine the Trump presidency, you know, that's a possibility where, you know, uh, they could be accepting mail-in ballots for tr for hopes that they're for Biden, or maybe they're maybe they know they're for Biden. 
uh, and they'll be accepting those ballots beyond the normal time frame. So a lot of craziness, like 2020 has not been crazy enough already, uh, but Trump needs to push this through. If not to save his own ass, which I do not think is going to need saving. I think if uh, Crazy Bernie goes through with these debates, he's toast, man. Toast, the toast with the most. Um, and then, you know, you have the possibility of a Joe Rogan debate. Joe Rogan is like the biggest internet thing there is right now biggest podcaster he wants Bernie or yeah creepy Uncle Joe and Trump to sit down for four hours where he moderates the debate and they just go back and forth it's not like uh, you have 30 seconds to answer this question uh, you get a 30 second rebuttal to his answer no it's gonna be okay well that's a good point Joe Donald what what's your answer to that Okay, Donald, that was good. Joe, what do you what do you think? And they're going to get to elaborate and really talk about issues in depth. And the American people are tired of the the suit the stuff suit guys. Um, and the lame old presidential debates. I mean, yeah. Nerds like me want to see it, but, you know, if Trump gets to go up there and you're watching Joe, uh, yeah, Joe Biden take a nap during this Joe Rogan debate, you're going to see what what we as Republicans, conservatives, are questioning. You're going to see, well, wait one second here. Why is this guy, how is this guy going to sit down with world leaders? So, but the, this Supreme Court nomination needs to go through because one of these two people could possibly be on that bench for the next 40 years unless they decide to uh, retire at a, a, a normal age, like 65 or 70. Uh, they could be on this court for a long, long time, uh, whoever takes Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Uh, and if we let, you know, crazy Uncle Joe and, it, it, well, let's just face it, Joe ain't gonna do nothing. If you let Bernie Sanders Sandy Cortez and Kamala Harris picked the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States. That person's going to hang on until their dying day and make liberal decisions that are anti-Second Amendment, anti-capitalism, pro-socialism, uh, pro-gun control, uh, anti-First Amendment that's becoming a thing in, in the United States and in the world. So, 
And you got to remember, some countries don't even have the First Amendment that we take for granted in the United States, but that's a whole other topic. So Trump has to get this person pushed through. So with that, uh, good night. God bless you. Uh, sorry that the uh, YouTube feed cut out on me because I was flipping back and forth between things, but this is part I.I. of the YouTube. I shall see you on the other side, folks.